It's Wednesday, September 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Wednesday. Thank you. Good to be here. It is good to be here because late yesterday. Oh, I was just throwing words out. Oh no, I know. <laughs> I'm just going to add a little context, though. It, 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 it's actually it actually is good. It, to be here. Here's why it's actually good Thank to be. God, here. God, I'm here today then because yeah, I feel better already. Late yesterday, when I contacted you about coming on Market Foolery today, and you had agreed, and then said, "What are we going to talk about?" I said at the time, well, "I don't know," because at the time there was really. No indication of of what we were going to be talking about today, and then, as happens from time to time, the news fairy showed up. That's why they call it news. That's that's right. Because it's uh, new. So we're going to talk about Hewlett Packard. We are definitely going to talk about the the big news in the beer industry. But let's start with something that was already on the docket, and that is uh, earnings from FedEx. First quarter revenue north of twelve billion dollars, profits up fourteen percent, and both those sound good. But they're both just a little bit lower than expected, and the stock dropping a little bit today. And FedEx has been such a steady performer for so long. Um, I, I'm curious what you think of where the business is right now, because it, it seems like both in terms of the stock and just the business in general, it's, it's really been doing well. But 2015, definitely a bit of a slowdown for FedEx. Well, and all other transport companies. So I think. When you look at it within the context of what has uh, happened, let's start with talking about the stocks of transport companies, which are down sort of across the board 30, 35% from their, their highs um, midsummer. It's done better than that. So, looking at it just from, oh, it's down 3% today and in relation to the guidance it has provided about the rest of the year, uh, makes it look a little off, but it's held up better than most. And as you say, it's got a long history of, of performance, so it's not surprising. When you look at the different divisions, it does seem like FedEx Ground is is performing pretty nicely, and and certainly seems like from a growth standpoint, that's that's sort of the a little bit of the driver, no pun intended. Um, uh, but again. I think I I would be a little bit concerned about the expectations that the company itself is putting forth. Back in June, they had warned that the first half of fiscal 2016 was not going to be quite as strong as as everyone had hoped, and now we're sort of getting these rumblings that yeah, we're also going to go ahead and and say the same thing about the second half of fiscal 2016. Yeah, I think 100% of the time when you hear we'll make it up in the second half, you know, you should have your doubts and that the first half looks iffy, but the second half still looks good to us is almost meaningless. Uh, and it's it's frequently done, and it's part of the can-do optimism of the American culture, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the you know near term doesn't look so good, but we're sure it's going to be better in a little while. Uh, the global economy is not particularly strong. Uh, and that affects FedEx, and the the exchange rates are are hurting, and it's it's not as uh, in the crosshairs of that as some companies, but still, that's that's a challenge. How strong is FedEx's pricing power? Because I've always looked at this company as having uh, as that being one of the real strengths of this company that they can raise prices. Not you know whenever they want, but 
when they need to, they can raise prices and people are going to pay it, particularly businesses. Particularly businesses, because they are in the nice spot of having people making decisions on how to spend when it is not their own money. Right. I mean, think of your own use of FedEx uh, in your time. It's normally probably been uh, for business reason. And how many times have you used FedEx for for personal reasons? I can't even remember the last time I used it for personal reasons. Right. But you've used it for business. Yes. Right. Because not my money. I, what does it cost? I don't know. It, but it's dependable. Right. So that's a good. That's a great place to be in when you're a business to have the reputation of high dependability. And lack of concern about what the price is. Uh, now there are people in companies, uh, including ours, who you know are pricing them against other places and are use FedEx or UPS or, or other alternatives um, based on the pricing model. But uh, the the dependability is is so critical to them that they they do have pricing power as as lots of companies do that have earned it. Let's move on to Hewlett Packard, which is going to be splitting the company, and that split is coming probably sometime in late October. But the news today is HP's announcement it is laying off up to 30,000 employees. That accounts for roughly 10% of the global workforce. And uh, as we often see, when a big company announces it's going to lay off a lot of people, uh, the stock gets a little bit of a pop. Yeah, uh, true, and they're, they're indicating that those jobs they're they're going to be staffing more heavily in low cost parts of the world. Uh, that's a trend that didn't start today uh, and isn't going to end here. Uh, you know, I wonder if this is going to pop up in in the debates tonight. What do you think? Uh, the Republican presidential yeah, debate pop up. You know, if you've got a headline like this today, and and you you've got. And you have a candidate on stage who used to run Hewlett Packard. So, yeah, 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 it it just might. uh, That's kind of irrelevant to to what we're talking about. But uh, they're cutting cutting jobs. uh, I think they cut 50,000 previous to this 30,000 announcement. So, this is ongoing. Uh, As I say, I don't think it stops here. When you look at how the company is going to be splitting, and, and the two division, one is going to be HP Incorporated. That is the the PC and printing business, and then you have Hewlett Packard Enterprise, which is software services technology. Uh, pretty pretty much what we think of when we hear the word enterprise and and think of the technology industry. I have to believe that that HP Enterprise is the more promising of those two businesses, if for no other reason than the fact that CEO Meg Whitman is going to be running that division. Yes, I think that is exactly the case. Uh, she is following the money, and that's where the future money comes from. I mean, HP can say all that it wants, as could Dell or anybody else about their powerful brand, but I mean, that it's a commodity, commodity business. Do you think this amps up the pressure on her as a CEO? I think because, I mean, just based on what we were just talking about, look, she's a smart woman. She's she's going to go with the more promising business. I think if you are a shareholder of that business or if you're on the board of directors of that business, I think it is 100% right to expect more out of that business and out of her. Yeah, no, I, I think it's uh, accurate to talk about the pressure and uh, on the business. Very competitive, very fast moving. Now she's got uh, experience and history at 
fast-moving, evolving businesses. Uh, so I would think that that would be more interesting to her than something that isn't moving all that quickly, the hardware side. Um, and, and a lot can go right or wrong in uh, sectors like that that have as much change as they do. So I think uh, she's a good one to bet on, but she's not going to get everything right. You know, in, in terms of uh, of that, so uh, I I think I, I think they've probably got the right person in the right job, uh, but it's not going to be an easy job. This is an unfair question, so of course I'm going to ask it. How long after this split do you expect we'll have five days? S- <laughs> we'll have some indication of the health of these two businesses, and when I say the health. One of the things I'm thinking of is woe to the people who are, you know, whoever is the person who's going to be running the PC and printing business. Because I just, I, it, I'm wondering if like six months later or a year later, we're going to have enough results where we can just look at that and say, oh, that, they're doing fine. Or it's a Dell computer situation where it's, boy, if they're going to survive, they, they would really do well to think about taking that business private. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think, as you say, it's an unfair question. I think you said that, I right? Did. So I'm going to treat it as <laughs> such and go back to my five days. I, I how it's it's a business. It takes it takes a number of uh, quarters to actually have the information that you'd need to know. But I, I expect that the valuations uh, will indicate that uh, the, the enterprise is is what uh, by far uh, investors are interested in. Beer stocks are yes. on the rise today, and I'm I'm pretty sure all of them are on the rise today in the wake of the news that Anheuser Busch InBev has approached SAB Miller about a merger. And just to be clear, we're talking about the biggest beer maker in the world going to the second biggest beer maker in the world. And the resulting company would be somewhere in the neighborhood of a $250 billion behemoth with Budweiser, Miller Lite, Corona, numerous other beers underneath it. Um, and there, there are a bunch of different threads I want to pull here, but let's start with, um, I guess, the, the first one, which is, do you think this is actually going to go through? Because SAB Miller is based in London, and if I understand this correctly, uh, under the regulations there, um, now, now that this indication has been made, a formal offer hasn't been made by Anheuser-Busch InBev, but the, I guess the, the indication has been made, and that starts a clock ticking, and now they have one month to make this offer. So, first and foremost, do you think they're going to beat the clock and actually Pull everything together to make an offer in the next thirty days. Yeah, I think that they have this. Is, this has been a rumored thing for quite a while. Uh, it reached the stage where uh, I guess uh, the the clock has to be uh, initiated, and uh, I think this makes sense to pursue uh, the the reasons why it's been rumored but not followed up on have got to do. Uh, quite uh, probably, with the valuation of SAB Miller. Now, everything has come down recently, and the valuation uh, of SAB Miller is more attractive. It's the same company, but it's you know possibly at a price uh, where where um, 
uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev will make that offer uh, because the, the logic is the same, but the price is better. So I, I think they can make the offer. I don't know that it's likely to be accepted. And, and meanwhile, SCB Miller may uh, go back and talk to Heineken, uh, which they tried to acquire uh, recently. And you know they may try to protect themselves by uh, making their own play on Heineken. So it could be a lot of fun. You also have to consider the regulatory approval, and the early indications right now are that um, there's no way the U.S. Justice Department is going to sign off on the two biggest beer makers in the world merging, unless there is some sort of spinoff of some sort. That that you know whether it's Anheuser-Busch InBev or SAB Miller, they would have to divest them. I mean, that's that's almost a, isn't that why it's something like Molson Coors is is up big today because the the belief is that they'll get some of that spinoff. Yeah, the, the the sales of the North American beer in SAB Miller is is pretty small. So I mean, they although Miller's in the name, it's really not that. Not that important a part of this this deal, and and it could be spun off, I think, rather easily. Um, but we'll see. I, you know, this reminds me that I was at a conference, I think, about a year and a half ago, and um, Anheuser Busch and Bev was pre- uh, presenting, and more or less the entire presentation was the CEO showing commercials. <laughs> And when you think about it, I mean that's kind of what the company, at least here, does. It makes commercials, and and apparently beer gets sold as a result. But uh, that is where they are at this you know conference. It it was what they were most proud of is here's here are the commercials that we ran in the Super Bowl, and this was a conference that was not in. Uh, the United States, so maybe these commercials were new to a lot of the audience. But uh, you know that is a huge chunk of what they do. Is is now they're very good on the execution uh, and they the economies of scale which they've already achieved and the additional ones that they could achieve by this merger are impressive. Uh, but you know to a large degree they're a marketing they're a marketing company and 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 they have lots of sales from good marketing. Uh, the future of beer in this country appears to be much more small microbrews. Um, they're taking more and more market share, uh, and so to survive and continue to to grow profits as as uh, the company has still been doing in the recent years, you know they they need more uh, savings. I think. Well, and it really does seem like that's where we're moving with this industry. That at least in the United States, that you've got the the larger and larger behemoths that are just looking to mass produce, and and I say this as someone who's not a beer drinker, but just based on conversations I have with people who are, they're mass producing just sort of basic beer, Budweiser, Miller Lite, etc., and the value proposition for investors is, look, we're gonna. Produce this and ship this uh, as cheaply as possible, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the craft brews, which are really becoming more and more localized. And I've said this for a while about about Boston Beer Company that I look I look at that business as being in some ways uh, threatened by both sides. That if you're Budweiser, you're not really concerned about 
Port City Brewing Company in Alexandria, Virginia. A, you know, a, a, a fine and very, very small local craft brew. Uh, but if you're Sam Adams, you're com- you're competing with with every local craft brew, and that and but you're also competing with the likes of Budweiser. Well, I think you're right, but su- successfully competing so far. Uh, that is, you've got enough people who will look at Sam Adams as, well, this is kind of a microbrew, I think, you know, and, and I'm now going to try something more exotic than Budweiser. And, and that may be their first entry into something outside of the really, really mass produced, but one they've heard of, one they're familiar with, one that is going to give them a very different beer experience than Bud, Bud Light, uh, Miller, Corona, uh, the various other brands that. Uh, uh, in Bev and S.A.B. Miller have, but uh, as you say, uh, the, for a large segment of the audience, you know, Sam Adams is too too big, and you know, not going to satisfy whatever they're trying to experience by having a, a different taste uh, all the time in, in trying new beers. So, but but it's it's worked out pretty well so far. I, I would say that. Uh, Sam Adams Boston Beer is, is doing a good job at, at at recognizing the challenges. So, just to wrap up on this, you think in the next month, Anheuser Busch InBev does make an offer? Yes. Whether or not it gets accepted is uh, still to be determined. Yes. I, I just when you were talking about the the marketing of the beer, it reminded me of what you'd said earlier about FedEx and sort of spending other people's money. And and I think that I would put both. Anheuser-Busch InBev and SAB Miller in that category of, boy, it must be really nice to be the director of marketing at those two companies, where, <laughs> where money is not an issue, and the challenge you face is, in what ways am I, am I going to spend this enormous pile of money? Yes, it's got to be, and they've done some great uh, work with it. Uh, I think you know, if we were to go and search out uh, YouTube videos of the ten best Super Bowl commercials, I'm sure that Budweiser would have a a number of those spots. Absolutely. The last time you were here a week ago, we were wrapped up by talking about our fantasy football. Team. Uh. Why you got to bring that up? Uh, because our listeners are bringing it up. Uh, Radioatfool.com is our email address uh, from Ryan Weicker, who writes, Just wanted to send my sympathies for your fantasy football team. Catching up on last week's podcast today, and I can't blame your optimism about your team, but man, listening to that with the knowledge of week one results, ouch. I feel for you. I hope it turns around. Uh, and from Sean Fox, listener number 58 in Colorado, just wanted to say thank you for the incredible show you guys do and for saving my fantasy football season from the opening gate. I was a 26-point underdog based on projections in week one when I heard the magic of Omar coming on your show. Since the guy I was matched up against uh, is the one who introduced me to the TV show The Wire in the first place, I thought it was fate. Sure enough, I changed my team name to Omar, and I made this super intimidating picture my team image, and he included a... a a very intimidating photo of uh, Michael K. Williams, the actor. Who all, put, all pictures of Omar. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps not of the actor, but, yeah. but when he's Omar. Right. Yes, when Michael K. Williams is playing Omar Little. He, he, yeah, definitely intimidating. Um, uh, Although so, you have to kind of know. I mean, you have to kind of have seen it because he is not, Omar is not a, you know, six foot 12, you know, giant. He's right. just. He brings it in in the wire. Yes, he does. Uh, there is a uh, a menace 
to the character of Omar <laughs> Little that, that, frankly, you want representing your fantasy football team. From somebody who, who refuses, by the way, to curse. Omar doesn't never curses. Oh, that's right. Now, he robs a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, he, he shoots a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a curious moral line to draw if you it, think about it. it, it, it it's unique. I'm not, <laughs> not going to use profanity while I'm no shooting No call for you. that kind of language here. <laughs> exactly. You know. Uh, Sean continues, uh, I turned my 26-point projected loss into an 11-point victory, and I am now sitting third in my league at 1-0. By the way, Matt Stafford is my starting starting quarterback, and my star running back, uh, Le'Veon Bell, is still suspended. So there's no way this would have happened if Omar had not gotten involved. Keep up the great work at Full HQ, and we'll keep listening. Uh, thank you for that, Sean, and uh, happy that uh, if if we didn't help ourselves, that we at least no. helped one person with their fantasy. We helped football. ourselves. If Peyton Manning would have helped us, then... Uh. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think what we forgot about Peyton Manning is that he is actually 73 years old. He's a very spry 73. Yes. So impressive that he's playing <laughs> professional football at the age of 73, but, you know... Still putting out great commercials. Yes, and, you know, we look forward to his appearance on Saturday Night Live again someday. You know what? To bring it back to the business of fantasy football uh, again, were you surprised by the number of commercials that FanDuel and DraftKings... I mean, I know we talked about how they've raised a lot of money, but holy cow, they are just spending money hand over fist on TV commercials during football games. I mean, it's the target audience, but holy cow. It got to the point where I was just like, oh, okay, another one, another no, because I, I watch uh, Red Zone now, which is commercial-free football. I feel like otherwise, I, I might have gone out and bought like six or seven trucks already, <laughs> right? If I mean, I would I would have bought a lot of Budweiser, several trucks, and and started like six new fantasy teams yeah. if I was uh, if you, you know, were subjected to commercials because I you know as an American consumer I have no defenses. Yeah, I just feel like if I if I plunk down the money for Red Zone, then I just I would not think leave of my all house. the trucks you'll not buy. Is that the case I should make to the person <laughs> in my home to whom I'm related by marriage? I'm not spending money on trucks and beer. I'm spending it on this. Yeah, yeah. I'll take that under advising. Thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 